Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. It's great to be back in Bangalore after a couple of weeks out of Bangalore. I mean, it would be weird to be back in Bangalore if I was still here, wouldn't it now? But anyway, as I told you, I was in New York, fucking New York. I don't know why you have to say it like that, but apparently if you cross the line, even for a second, you have to come back and say that because that's the acknowledged way of showing that you have appreciated and enjoyed New York. But let me tell you one thing. It's weird that I actually felt old and disabled on this trip because you know, I always have been rejecting the idea. I always, when I travel, I ask for assistance and I get someone to hold my arm or vice versa. It becomes a very nice bond when we walk through the airport. But this time, you know, I traveled with family. I traveled with my, uh, while going there, I traveled with my sister-in-law and, you know, she was um, helpful. But at the same time, things have gotten so crowded that you really um, want to kind of minimize the encounters and the delays and also the navigation for me, because when holding someone's arm, they're like, oh, watch out. So there's, because people are not looking, people are more oblivious and people are kind of more blind than me. And it was weird because I just decided to use a wheelchair and I felt like one of those imposters and one of these people who are just absolutely fine. But of course, those people are just lazy. In my case, I'm also lazy and disabled. So I have a double bonus. And I was whisked through everything. And I, um, realized in one way, I felt like shit. I was like, man, is this what it's come to? I can't really uh, do anything now. When I travel, I have to use a wheelchair. I'm no, I have no help to the people I'm traveling with, whether it's helping my wife carry my baby or carrying luggage. But, you know, it's it's ridiculous because I did try to uplift a suitcase and I ended up bumping the suitcase into someone because it's just a mad fucking rush. Anyhow, um, so having uh, all those, you know, those kind of, reservations about travel traveling and using a wheelchair then this time i like fuck it i'm 40 i don't care who fucking sees me in a wheelchair um i'm just going to use the benefit of getting through from point a to point b with the least amount of stress and least amount of resistance from various situations and man when i landed in jfk it was a breeze i landed at 9:05 a.m i was at the baggage carousel at 9:15 like immigration the guy's like so please don't get up sir because we'll just scan your passport from here and what's your purpose didn't ask me why i'm fucking there and this is for a guy in 2001 or 2 i think right after school i got rejected twice for a student visa on the basis of being a potential immigrant i mean this is how the tables have turned i'm just like cruising through and i uh, realize that this is the benefit of aging right i didn't get id'd for a single thing I I was shown respect and I was like, what the fuck is going on? And it was quite fascinating and quite enjoyable if I may say so myself. And yeah, I don't know, man. It was a weird, weirdly exhilarating um, experience going back after many years. I've been going back to New York after nine years. Um, I'll tell you one thing, you know, which is very strange. And I shared this with a couple of my friends is that, you know, when I went last time to New York, I was, I was not married, but I was still with my girlfriend, who's now my wife. But still, there's this kind of thing where you want to look at New York and what is New York? What are the, the bars, the nightlife? You want to check out some pretty girls. And I could still do a little bit of that. I mean, I didn't check, check out, but I was like, mm, hot girl. And this time, it's not that I'm ooh, married and old and I'm wiser. No, it's just that I couldn't see any hot girls. I, I don't know whether it's the lack, whether my sight's gotten worse. And I didn't go to any bars, which was mainly like a home scene. We had a place, we had an apartment, we had people coming over, we had dinner. And it felt like a very different experience. And uh, I was taking in a lot more through smell and sound. So when I thought back, I was like, 
yeah, of course, I could capture some images of the apartment we stayed at. I could capture some images of the people who came there. And of course, some of the restaurants we went to, but very limited scope. But no hot chicks. So I feel very buggered because of that. And, you know, there's something I want to talk about uh, is this concept of muscle memory. And many of you have heard of mass muscle memory in context of sports, in context of surgeons who have muscle memory, or you build muscle memory uh, when uh, you do a certain thing over over time and it comes uh, second nature to you. But have you thought of this concept if a place can trigger muscle memory for you? And I don't mean trigger in the quote unquote, I'm triggered, but can it bring certain physical reactions within your body? And I found that fascinating because because I was so dependent on people this time, um, more so than usual and more so than in the past, I felt like, you know, I was always holding someone's arm while walking on the footpaths. And because I couldn't see more than um, earlier, I was entirely reliant on them. And the sound like in a place like New York in Soho is loud as people talking, there's traffic, there's sirens. And um, I was fine when I was there. And of course, the smells of New York, you have suddenly coffee shops and you have really, really nice smells and suddenly you smell sewage and some dead rat. So it's, it's, of course, I'm not undermining your visual experience. If you have that and you see all these beautiful things, my, my, my wife loves people watching and so does my child, my, my baby girl loves it. And she's just like, dog, baby, baby, doggy. And I was like, wow. Uh, but I've realized this when you are um, more reliant on your audio inputs for, uh, feedback of your environment, you're much more reactionary, right? So you're kind of suddenly going to jump in like a sudden sound, a loud sound. Uh, when you're visually taking in your environment, you're more, re- you're more, I wouldn't say re- proactive, but you're more prepared for what you're seeing because you see it from a distance, but sound is a lot more abrupt. And as a result, I feel my body took in a lot of these things and took time to process it. And my hands are going all over the fucking place. I apologize. If you're listening, you're actually lucky. And as a result, when I came back, it just felt like this I won't say stress because that's an overused word, but I felt this kind of energy that had built up in my body and it was doing weird things to me. And when I came back home and I was in this space, which I'm used to this environment that I'm uh, able to navigate without a fucking wheelchair or anyone, it felt like this energy needed to come out and it was, it was a weird experience. Let me just say that. So yeah, let me know what you think about places and they, uh, their relationship to your body and your muscles and your muscle memory and what uh, happens to you if that's happened ever when you've gone back to either a holiday uh, place which you really enjoyed or a place which uh, wasn't a very enjoyable experience or a place that you visit very often if it's if it's work because sometimes every day you go to work you're uh, not thinking about what happens to your body you're kind of just thinking about what you're supposed to do but over a period of time, you kind of build all these thoughts, which kind of then seep into your body and your muscles. And yes, many people say that's stress and maybe, but also there are different ways of expressing those physical feelings. And we don't have to minimize it and undermine it and just call it stress or anxiety because, yeah, those are, of course, the most prevalent feelings that we can feel because they they make themselves felt. But there are other things that happen to you um, physically as a result of many uh, um moments of things that you take into your body through your senses so yeah interesting but yeah i miss the hot chicks it would have been nice but um yeah man it's just a crazy city um to um miss out on and how much ever you know i made peace with the fact that i'm going to listen i'm going to enjoy the conversations and i drank a lot of coarse fucking light cheap ass beer i loved it um i think there is something to it when you're able to sit back and 
taken the sights and sounds because it's not a city made for people who can only hear or smell. Let's put it out there, right? If you are visually impaired, blind, or if you're if if you're hearing impaired or deaf, and I don't know what your thoughts on this are, but I mean, trust me, like in the summer, you want to see those sights. Who messed out on that? But it was a good holiday. But I must say, I'm happy to be back, and I'm happy to be back to you, um, right here, right now. And um, let me introduce today's guest, Professor Clive R. Body, an associate professor of management. He focuses mainly on corporate psychopathy. Now, what is that? Right? It sounds cool, but let's talk about corporate. That's all of us at some point in our life, especially if you're in India. Corporate life. Oh, for most people in the world, actually, some form of corporate life. Right? An organization that you worked at. We know what corporate is. Psychopathy. Now, of course, we typically hear about it, like psychopaths. Man, these murdering serial killers. These people who are social misfits. Um, strangely, though, psychopaths aren't just um people who kill for the pleasure of killing or people who do these things but they display traits which are prevalent even in entertainers and actors and celebrities and actress actress actresses and actresses in various walks of life where it goes unrecognized because the the the, the way it's manifested isn't necessarily uh criminal but it does display some uh behaviors that are not um beneficial to all people around these individuals but they get away with it because of certain things that play to their psychopathic behavior now bring these two together corporate and psychopaths do we have these people of course we call them leaders we call them managers we call them people who head organizations and clive has focused on studying corporate psychopaths and how their behavior is um sometimes encouraged by the corporate environment how do you find these people how do you weed them out how do you recognize this behavior how do you prevent yourself from getting bullied by these psychopaths how do you prevent yourself from getting manipulated by these people and a whole lot more so it's a good conversation especially if you are experiencing something like this or if you are contemplating entering the corporate world or if you are a corporate psychopath hey what's up buddy welcome to the podcast a uh, great conversation i'm sure you'll enjoy it and if you're listening professor clive appreciate you joining me and partaking in this conversation with me and of course to you my friend who's listening right now i appreciate it as always thank you and till the next episode goodbye god bless take care of yourself cheers Lovely to have you on the podcast. Thank you for taking the time and joining me. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so, I want to understand the 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 reason for you to um, study this 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 kind of human behavior that people um, display in a corporation, and what led you to, to to write the book and also take up the study in 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 the 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 behavior that people display. Um, well, I came across an article about, it was called Executive Psychopaths in Harvard Business Review, and I realized that I'd worked with one or two people who had many of the same traits of as the psychopath. Um, in those days, back in 2004, um, the notion of a corporate psychopath was uh was not really accepted in, in in corporate society because psychopaths were all seen as being a slightly psychotic people who 
ended up in jail. Mm-hmm. Um, and therefore, the, the idea of them being successful and being uh, um, getting into leadership positions within corporations was uh, quite laughed at at first, particularly by academics, mm-hmm. less so by practitioners, I should say. Uh, and therefore, I, I started to study it as a phenomena as part of my DBA that I was doing, a Doctor of Business Administration mm-hmm. degree in Australia. And um, we used a primary psychopathy measure to try and find if there were any psychopaths in corporations. Um, at the time we did it, we had no idea whether we would find any or not. So because it was, it had really never been done before at that stage, yeah, 2007, 2008. Um, but we did find some um, at, at small incidence rates, but we, they, they were definitely there within corporations. And everything since then led on from that initial uh, discovery. Right. Because it seems that these um, these people uh, who you've quoted, I think the study was, um, I think a lot of the examples were based off Bernie Madoff, right? And and his the, 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 a lot of the traits that he displayed. In many um, instances, these, these individuals are used as examples when people are aspiring to be, you know, successful um, people in the, you know, pursuing or trying to go up the corporate ladder. So a lot of these case studies are given as how to do it, how not. And only when things go uh, bad for the corporation, then they are also made an example of saying you should never do this. So, so what is the, where does the flip happen? Is it something that is in the person or is it something that the corporation or the corporate environment brings out of the human being? Uh, well, like most things, it's an interplay of both. So it's partly personality and partly whether the organisation allows the dark side of the personality to flourish or not. So the, mm-hmm. what these people are really after is money, power and control over other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that applies to all psychopaths, criminals, as well as corporate psychopaths or successful psychopaths. Um, and they're willing to ride roughshod over anyone to make sure they get to the types of senior positions where they can get the money, power, and control that they want. Um, uh, and that means they're, they're willing to lie to get to the top. They're willing to claim MBAs that they don't have and never and aren't entitled to. Uh, they were willing to claim the good work of others as, as their own work and to take credit for other people's efforts. Um, so it's a, a totally ruthless um, approach to individual career advancement as they as they try to get themselves up the the greasy pole of um, corporate the corporate hierarchy. Right. You know the, the the things you mentioned, which is of course you know trying to take credit for someone else's work or trying to kind of mislead the, their way around by kind of uh, you know deceiving people with their with, with with how much they've actually achieved or taking you know as i said credit um this happens at all levels at some at some way right because there's this idea of competition which is driven into people saying if you have to be anyone at all just think for yourself and kind of um this idea of nurturing a team or i mean it's all said in some sense right like we're all a team and you have these exercises for team building in a corporation but 
when it comes to it, it's it's each person for him or herself. And that is quite evident, at least in my personal experience working in corporations. But but clearly there are some that are more, I don't know if responsible is the right word or seem to have a um, more healthy environment for people. Um, so the thing is, you said it's an interplay of both. It's a personality and the environment. So now, since there is research showing that they, these individuals do exist and clearly they have an agenda of money, power, control, um, have you seen a shift in the way these corporations are organized to prevent these kind of people from gaining a foothold or to kind of eliminate them uh, at an early stage? Uh, no, I don't think so. I mean, the whole thing is is still at an early stage of research. And the, the whole idea of the corporate psychopath has only been accepted within the past, I don't know, five or ten years maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, and so very few companies are actually screening or, or looking out for these people, I don't think. Um, and occasionally that some companies are even deliberately looking for them. Mm. Um, I mean, there was one of my more well-known papers uh, was called The Corporate Psychopath's Theory of the Global Financial Crisis. Mm-hmm. And this is the idea that you get more um, psychopathic people in the top, the industry sectors which give you the opportunity to get money, power and control. And obviously, mm. corporate banking is one of those uh, sectors. Mm. Uh, and the theory was that if these people get to the top in that sector, then the whole um, ethical standards of the sector become debased and we get the reckless, ruthless um, willingness to gamble with each other, other people's money that we that we saw in the last global financial crisis. Yeah. Um, and the results, as we know, were, were potentially uh, devastating. If, if governments hadn't stepped in to save the banking sector, then there would have been a radical change in the whole world economy, not necessarily for the better. Um, and so it looks like they go into the, the sectors where they can get these things. So where you get caring professions, which are lowly paid, like nursing or doctors or beauticians or healthcare workers at, at the lower end of the healthcare scale, um, then you get less levels of psychopathy because those that idea of caring for someone else doesn't appeal to the psychopath. They're mm. only out for themselves, um, and so that they would. And that's why things like corporate responsibility doesn't appeal to them either because they're not interested in the future for for anyone else apart from themselves, and they're out for immediate gratification and short term gains. Um, and, and this is one of the reasons why the topic is so important is because as we stand on the edge of a cliff in terms of climate change and environmental degradation, mm-hmm. uh, what we need at the top is caring leaders, not not, not psychopathic leaders who, who in politics as well as organisations who don't um, care about what the future holds for humanity. Yeah, it's a very scary notion, right, that we're going to be led into the future as whether it's a society, a nation, or even uh, employees, when you have these people uh, who have displayed such selfishness. And um, and is so as you said, it's, it's definitely 
they're pe- people like this are attracted by um uh, and also go down these avenues where these things are available at least at the top uh but of course you know i was recently reading how we have now gone from you know there's an economic power struggle to a security power struggle now there's a digital you know technological kind of struggle going on in the world so do are we seeing this 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 being displayed because there's a lot of talk like employees are well taken care of especially with the new tech giants um but there are things that are being said but the reality is different whether it's the the the, the lady coming out the facebook whistleblower or the um you know certain conversations coming out of google with ai and with apple employees you know kind of saying you know or even twitter employees or tesla employees so i'm just naming a few of the tech tech giants uh what what is going on there because they are run by younger quote unquote people and does that um uh does youth or age have anything to do with it or have you observed that it's across age groups and these kind of psychopaths and psychopathic behaviors displayed across it uh well i think they're across it, it's across all age groups and, and uh, both sexes actually much more so than um i think anybody realizes in terms of female psychopathy mm-hmm. um i think you know i've got a few friends who do work or have worked in the the sort of technology sectors you're talking about mm-hmm. and i think what we find there is what academics call work intensification so there's a lot of monitoring of what you're doing you're expected to work long hours there's a lot of pressure uh and the promise is you'll gain from um your share options and, and that will ultimately make it worth it but of course as some of the big groups now are in decline in terms of stock exchange valuations those share options are no longer attractive enough to to keep people and those companies which are in decline i think will start losing their uh younger managers and middle managers as they seek less intensive work elsewhere mm. um in terms of the cultural um restraints on psychopathic behavior the theory is that the more individualistic the country or the or the organization mm-hmm. the more this behavior is allowed to flourish so of course america is probably the most individualistic country in the world followed closely by australia and the uk and countries like that uh and therefore this individual greed is to some extent admired in people um and it's only when it crosses the barrier into uh dark and outcomes which are not beneficial for the rest of society that that we start to notice that individual greed isn't always good or isn't good at all maybe yeah no because there seems to be a huge um emphasis now on what technology can do and it's very closely tied with um i mean the distinction i don't know if it's blurring but political and economic goals are also being driven by technology and in, and as a result these few companies by misinformation and um when you when you look at all the 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 scandals quote unquote when it comes to the elections in the US or when it comes to um i i don't know what the name of the company but there's really company that actually was caught out i think by the guardian for running these campaigns to manipulate uh, the results of elections it clearly you know is no longer just um a tech guy or a tech 
person, like even I think her name is Elizabeth Holmes, like making products for the benefit of mankind or profits even. But it's clearly beyond that. And it can go into a global scale where people and the the destiny of societies and countries can be determined by these people. So um, what I'm what, what I'm fascinated by is why do we still kind of, um, you know, when, when we have money, power and control as these um, ingredients that are attracting these people, why as a society are we still holding it to such high values? Why are we telling our children that these are the things that you need to aspire to? These are the jobs that you need to get. These are the sectors that you need to be in. And just like how you pointed out, the ones where you're supposed to care for other human beings, whether it's teachers or nurses or healthcare providers, that is seem to be a less rewarding uh, financially, but also not as respected in some way uh, when it comes to, you know, setting and shaping your goals for you, yourself or your children. Uh, yes, well, I mean, I suppose a part of that um, direction to these these types of organisations and and companies is that we as parents, we, we want our children to do well. We want them to be able to afford a house. We want them to be able to afford um, good educations for their own children, etc. And therefore, we steer them in the direction of where they can earn more money um, than elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and particularly when you get asset uh, price inflation, like the cost of houses around the world is becoming um, out of all proportion to what people earn. Mm-hmm. And therefore, you have to, um, if you're young, you have to, from that sense, earn um, more as much as you can in order to be able to afford that kind of um, asset. So it, it, it's a function of people trying to take care of their offspring uh, and, and pushing them in, in those kind of directions. So it's resulting from care, but it's resulting in um, uh disadvantageous outcomes for society. I mean, you mentioned AI, uh, artificial intelligence, I think, or the, uh, technology companies. Mm-hmm. Um, and one, one of the things we're looking at, or I'm looking at at the moment in, in cooperation with some of um, co-researchers, is how AI can be harnessed by these dark and, and psychopathic managers to produce uh, a but aberrant results at great scale. Um, mm. AI, for example, there's a big, I don't know if you've heard of it, there's a big scandal at the moment in Amer- in Australia. It's referred to as the robo-debt scandal. And so what the welfare part of the government used was an algorithm to determine whether they'd overpaid welfare payments or not. Uh, to the people in the poorest sectors of society, including mm-hmm. those with mental health issues, those who um, can't get jobs because of poor education, um, those with the, uh, physical illnesses and, and mental illnesses, uh, those who have been abused. In other words, the very most vulnerable people in society. And what the algorithm did was averaged out their yearly income and issued debt notices to them where that indicated that they had been overpaid welfare payments. Mm-hmm. In many cases, that um, the, the algorithm was wrong. It produced the wrong result, and up to I think seven hundred and fifty thousand people uh, were eventually given these debt notices. Now, some of them committed suicide. Um, oh God! 
Some of them sold their houses and cars and, and whatever ha- they had to pay off these days. It, there's, there's just been a, a report from the Royal Commission into it, into the robo-debt scandal in Australia, and they found um, the whole thing was illegal from start to finish because the bo- the onus of proof was put on the welfare recipients rather than the government offices that were making these judgments. Mm-hmm. Um, and the the the, the, the Australian government has had to um, back down from the whole scheme and and pay people compensation uh, for what they did in the first place. But the when these death notices were done by humans by hand, they were doing I think it was about thirty thousand a year. No, sorry, twenty thousand a year. Mm. When when they got AI to do it, artificial intelligence to do it. They could do almost 50 times as much per year. So instead of it being carefully looked at by humans, it was carelessly looked at by AI under the control of managers who were doing it for political gain purposes, because to look good to the voters mm. um, and under the under the guidance of politicians. Uh, and so um, it was just uh, a horrendous, unethical, illegal um mess in the end uh, and it's only just coming out so uh, about 20 people have been referred to possible criminal prosecution under this um and, and the, uh, the the final report only came out a few days ago so i haven't read it all yet but mm. it's just catastrophic from individual uh, people's point of view and terrible, in the uk yeah. in the uk there was a similar thing or again, enabled by artificial intelligence, um, run at great scale. And it's been referred to as the great UK post office scandal, mm-hmm. um, where, again, the same accounting system that the post office was using was producing incorrect results at the level of the individual retail post office shop. And they were um, charging people with fraud who'd never in their lives done anything wrong before uh, and putting them in prison, including a pregnant woman. And at the end of the day, it, it's been proven, it's, it's just going through, still going through the courts, uh, but the courts are finding in favour of the people who've been wrongly convicted. Um, and again, thousands and thousands of them have been wrongly convicted and it's only now coming to light nearly 10 years later. Um so it's just appalling what ruthless dark managers can do with the aid of AI, because it magnifies to a tremendous extent the damage they can do to more and more individuals. So these people are actually much more dangerous than criminal psychopaths, because criminal psychopaths just hurt a few people around them, obviously in horrible and, and or bad ways, mm-hmm. but these corporate psychopaths can affect thousands and thousands of people um, badly and change their lives very much for the worse. I mean, Bernie Madoff is a, a great example of that as a, a financial fraudster mm-hmm. who has been nominated as, as a psychopath um, by several people, including me. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you remember the that um, financial scandal in New York? Yeah, I mean, I, as I said, I, I I know the 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 gist of it, but I think it's good to, if you could just highlight maybe some of the 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 things surrounding and the details in that, because um, just 
you know, to, to set context to what we're talking about? Well, Bernie Madoff, he was an, a leading financier in New York. He was chairman of the NASDAQ at one stage. So very well connected in financial, uh, in Wall Street in New York. Um, and he was running a so-called investment, which turned out to be a Ponzi scheme. So in other mm -hmm. words, he wasn't investing anything. He was only, he was paying back the old investors with money gained from the new investors. Uh, mm -hmm. And it was all set up to look like a, a real investment scheme. And in the end, at the time of the global financial crisis, people started to call in their, uh, their money because they mm. needed it for the purposes. And that virtually exposed the whole uh, fraudulent nature of his scheme. And he was sentenced, I think, in the end to 250 years in prison, uh, which gathered cheers from, from the courtroom. Um, and thousands of people were bankrupted or, well, not maybe not bankrupted, but lost all their investments mm. um, right across 40 different countries. So it was a truly global effect. And the total fraud, I think, was anything up $60 billion. Uh, um, but it, it's hard to say what the total fraud was because the, a lot of the numbers were, were imaginary numbers. They were just made up Bernie. Mm. Um, so, so the real extent of the debt was never really established, but certainly it was um, in the 20s and, and possibly right up to 60 million. Wow. Mm. Uh, you know, the, the, the thing I'm, I find is for, for as long as, you know, I at least I've read documentation, uh, power seems to be concentrated in a few people and innovation and even, um, you know, a lot of people say, Five percent of the ninety-five percent of the wealth in America is in five percent of is with five percent of the people, and maybe similarly there are ideas coming out from five percent, which I don't know if it's true or not. But um, when we look uh, at more recent examples, like either Elizabeth Holmes or uh, that the, the person uh, the Sam Bank Sam, Sam Bankman-Fried, um, you know, in the age of the internet, where there's quote unquote more transparency and uh, but on the flip side, also more um, information being exchanged easily. Has it made, uh, the, the, has this environment led for um, more of these psychopaths to emerge? Or is there a way to kind of, um, because it's also empowering so, so many more people as opposed to just a few. So, I mean, it, I'm just trying to make an observation, but it, what is the reality of it? Is there more possibilities? Because you did mention the power of AI and being mishandled by uh, by these individuals. But uh, on scale, is is more power being put into more people? Or is this, in fact, making the process worse and giving more power back to the few who've controlled these, these, these tools? Um, well, in terms of the distribution of wealth around the world it, it, it's always been um a few at the top own the majority of the wealth of well, loads of different countries um i've nobody's i don't think anybody's ever linked that to psychopathy or not. Mm. in terms of people like elizabeth holmes um i've heard a little bit about it but i've never i haven't studied it studied it in any depth mm. i mean the Show, it just show great promise for my area of research, of course, mm -hmm. uh, but I can't really comment on her as an individual without further investigation. 
Sure. And that's one of the one of the problems of my area of psychopathic leadership and corporate psychopaths is there are far too many candidates to to look at to research. <laughs> right, it shows you how how widespread they are. Right, um, but I think in, in terms of your comment about are these people getting to the top more? I think they are at the moment, and one of the reasons for that is we don't have jobs for life anymore. So we move from organization to organization every three years on average, I think it is in the in the West. Um, and so the people we work with don't really know us that well, um, it, and certainly not enough to want to block our pro progress up the ladder. Whereas um, at the same time, as this rapid movement of personnel, you get shallow recruitment processes. So everything seems to be based on an interview these days and a, and a quick look at your CV. And if these people are prepared to lie or, or in their CV, which they are, um, then they look good and they get to the interview stage. And at the interview stage, because psychopaths are entirely rational and non-emotional, they can get away with lying because they don't give telltale signs of lying that the rest of us give so that they're not nervous that they don't lose their temper they're very cool calm collected and and that makes them look like really good candidates uh because they don't have this emotional or upsetting response even to accusations of, of being a liar for example um and that helps that's one of the things that helps them get ahead so they move from one company where they create uh, an internal disaster while claiming great um, outcomes to their bosses to another company where they do the same thing. Uh, and one of the reasons they're able to get ahead so well is they're excellent at upward impression management, so impressing their bosses and superiors. And it's one of the things they do. Um, a good leader looks after those below them. Yeah. Um, a bad leader looks after those above them and ignores those below them. So, and this is the characteristic, the essential characteristic of the psychopathic leader. They spend their whole time networking on the phone, talking to people, telling everybody what great results they're getting, regardless of the truth of the, of the situation. Um, and so when those above them are coming to choose who the next group of leaders will be, they automatically think of this uh, psychopathic person as being an excellent candidate, uh, whereas those who are really getting on with the job and doing it properly and supporting their workers aren't known about by the senior management because they've got their heads down doing their jobs properly and are not shouting for attention like the psychopathic do. Um, and so by the time you get to the top of an organisation, the the caring and the ethical and the... Uh, efficient and effective have more or less been weeded out of the selection process because of the um, lack of ability of, of, of getting themselves known and talked about. Yeah. It's, 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 it seems like behavior that is being displayed more and more by public figures, especially from the outside when you look at it, whether it's, you know, the, the, the way they try to manipulate. And that's something that, you know, kind of terrifies me because when there are so many people hooked on to these platforms, which 
either gives them misinformation or deceives them or um you know t- puts them into a certain way of thinking whether it's politically socially whether it's with gender sexuality so many ways to make us feel you know separate from the, the person next to you um it's almost feels like you're creating a, a sense of dependence for these people and as a result more opportunities to manipulate them and you know reading articles and reading books on cult leaders to people who eventually were caught or even you know dictators or it could be as you said you know ceos who led people down a ponzi scam it's it seems like now of course you said ai is being mis- misused but more and more it feels like we there's a sort of path being set out for making the population um absolutely susceptible to manipulation by a few of these people in the with and with much more advanced tools than what they had right earlier propaganda was maybe done through word of mouth or through television but now it's at lightning speed and it's happening constantly and it's it's at at a click of a few buttons so it just seems to be uh, facilitating this kind and in some way rewarding this kind of psychopathic behavior i i i didn't have a question there but i just feel that you know you were saying the ones who are ethical the ones who are hard working the ones who want to reward yeah ah, go on yes. yeah. well yeah i mean this is a point that um a professor of leadership made at the end of his career is is that he and he worked in in consultancy with a lot of uh, organizations in the uk it just it just occurred to him that the higher up you go normally in these corporations the less caring and the less um humanistic the the top managers actually mm-hmm. are uh so it does seem to be the dark who get to the top more than other people and one of the, i suppose one of the reasons for that is they don't have the emotional ties the rest of us have they don't want to go home to their wives and families because they don't really care about mm-hmm. them uh, they care more about gaining the money and prestige that they that they're after um yeah because you just now in 2023 we saw the number of layoffs right late 22 early 23 saw the number of job cuts and is that a is that a sign of just a company struggling or is that a, a an act or an action which is being controlled or being exercised by a psychopathic leader well uh, you have to wonder don't you when you have these companies that are making huge profits and at the same time they're laying off thousands of people you have to wonder what what's the rationale behind that it does seem excessively ruthless to get rid of people when you're a profitable company mm-hmm. um surely you, uh, as a, a benefit to society you should be employing people not not get getting rid yeah. of them um and yeah, i think uh, going back to your, to your earlier point uh about um how political psychopaths for example get ahead as well as organizational mm-hmm. psychopaths um what they use very definitely are divide and conquer techniques to put pitch people against each other um and create divisions in society and by doing that they divert attention away from themselves and their own personality and what they're really trying to do um because they get people fighting each other and for example we just did some research about a year ago and it, where you have a psychopathic manager running um organizations you get more um gender discrimination for example right. and, and my own view is that they they're not really um um 
biased against the opposite sex. They're just using it as part of this divide and conquer um, and creating chaos that they use in order to disguise and, and hide their own activities and divert attention away from themselves. Um, the problem is, as I think you were hinting, even though they're aberrant leaders, and, and to some extent everyone can see that, especially in politics, they still gain a large minority, you know, in the 39, 40, 41% of the popular vote, whatever they mm. do. And you can see that with, with Trump in America, you can see that with uh, the rise of the Nazis in, in 20th century Germany. Um, and, and other politicians as well, they seem to have this big minority of supporters who will support them no matter what. And there was an interesting paper that came out the other day. I, I, sorry, I can't remember the authors. It wasn't me. <laughs> um, which showed that for if people have a view of the world as being a scary place then they're willing to support an authoritarian leader mm. because they think that leader will look after them. Mm. So they're trading off the leader's abhorrent behavior with the leader's ability to to protect them and look after them, to, to protect them against this hostile world that they are uh, perceiving. And so what the political psychopaths can do, of course, is play up the the hostile world rhetoric um, in order to gain more support from these types of uh, fearful people in society. Mm -hmm. So it becomes an almost um, self-reinforcing cycle. Yeah, it's almost like, you know, in, you kind of, you know, um, make the threat factor that much higher, whether it's religious tension, whether it's the possibility of migrants, whether it's thing and and, and it's, it's so sad, in some ways sad because maybe 20 years back, it's when you had the, the world is flat by Thomas Friedman, the whole movement of globalization, maybe it started earlier. Um, and, and then you had, you know, like the EU being formed and, you know, free passage across the continent. And now it seems that everywhere you look, it's more and more um, isolation and isolation tactics, right? Fear mongering, telling people that, you know, don't trust your neighbor, don't trust people you trusted earlier, like for whatever reason it may be in that particular country, like in Turkey, in India to some extent. But everything then is forgiven, saying, no, but look at the economic progress or look at, look what the, the numbers are, look at the number, amount of investment coming into the country, but whatever it may be. I'm not saying India as an example, just from anywhere you look. It's happening and happening more and more. So clearly indicating that distractionary tactics are being used by psychopathic political or uh, economic or you know, corporate leaders to, um, to to kind of let people infight. And um, I mean, it's it's quite scary, right? That it's not being checked at all. Well, once they've created this the, these divisions and these infighting activities in society then it, it just runs its course on, on its own. It, it, it gains a life of its own, um, and they can take advantage of it. And I think a lot of them, they know what they're doing is wrong and immoral. They just don't care because they want power, um, and, and therefore they choose to do it. Um, do psychopathic leaders get along with other psychopathic leaders? Are they willing to collaborate um, 
there's not much evidence on that. They, I think they, they do um, tend to coalesce together mm-hmm. as as long as they don't get in each other's way. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, so. <laughs> If they're all if they're all aiming to exploit the company, like the three guys at Enron, for example, if they're all like aiming to exploit the company in the same way, then they can work together to do that and, and just milk it for all the money they can. Um, but if they're um, fighting each other, then that's a, a different a different matter. I mean, there is there is some evidence that. Corporations do get more psychopathic over time if they've got a psychopathic leader, because what happens is people who are more sensitive and caring leave the organization because they can't stand working there. Mm. Whereas more resilient people who are themselves partially psychopathic um, don't mind as much. And, and again, there was a paper on this a while ago, which showed that the the only people who don't really care about working for a psychopathic leader are those who are fairly psychopathic themselves. And it's because they don't have this emotional response that the rest of us have. And so they don't they don't, you know they don't care. They don't get upset about the ruthless bullying, abusive behavior that they see from their leader, because they themselves are relatively ruthless and bullying. Um, so to that extent, like attracts like, and they're prepared to work in in that kind of um environment that the rest of us would find uh this unhospitable but it uh, it almost seems like especially in the corporate uh, i mean not just corporate but in all these areas we spoke about it seems like if you are if you are going to be working for the people if you're actually looking out for your team or if you're actually trying to do some good there's no hope so you you rather instead of being smothered by the absolute psychopaths it seems like it's best to play the game, have a de- develop a little bit of you know psychopathy, and at least be around so you can mitigate the damage that these people inflict. Uh, well, yes, I mean, I've often thought in my own career, for example, sometimes I've turned down a leadership position mm-hmm. because I want to, because in my case, I just want to concentrate on my research, mm-hmm. but sometimes I've looking back at that, I've I've wished I'd taken it rather than not taking it because what happens is they just give it to someone who turns out to be uh rather toxic mm-hmm. and makes your life miserable by being a poor leader mm-hmm. um so those of us who do care about other people i think have to perhaps step up to the plate a bit more and, and take on these roles otherwise they'll just be taken by uh the ruthless right you know on the flip side to this, I just it, I just had a thought. You know, there are the of course these toxic leaders, the the the, the psychopaths, uh, displaying this behavior. But now there's this new movement of uh, I don't want to say left leaning, but you have this this movement against to- toxic culture, right? Whether it's to- toxic masculinity or to- and and you see a lot of these um, the, these situations leading to. to quote-unquote, cancelled culture where people who felt abused at the workplace, you know, starting a movement and bringing down these people. So is this a reactionary movement or is it a simultaneous movement which is as unhealthy? Um, I honestly don't know the answer to that, okay. I'm afraid. I mean, what, what I've found in 
one or two cases that I've looked at. Um, and there was one case, I won't be too specific. It, it was in the UK. It was the uniformed services uh, area of mm-hmm. life. And a junior officer um, contacted me uh, because of my work on toxic leadership. And I gave him advice over a couple of years or so. Uh, and eventually he made uh, uh, an open bullying accusation a- against senior officer. And when he did that, about 20 odd other people came forward with the same allegations. Mm. So he, the guy had been bullying loads of people at different stages of his career. And so this sort of Me Too movement of people um, getting together and and pointing out that these people are uh, sexual harassers or bullies or abusers of some kind um, does seem to be gaining gaining traction, which is mm-hmm. good. Um, uh, and the thing is, a lot of these people have multiple victims and always have had multiple victims, like uh, Epstein, mm-hmm. for example. And it's only when you gather them together, you get this additional power of being able to um, expose these people in a way that at a single individual level, it's very hard to do because there's an asymmetry of power and wealth and influence between you as the victim and them as the perpetrator. So it's only when you get a big group of people together that you can overcome that um, uh, that particular hindrance to ju- to justice. Yeah, it's quite, it seems like it's quite a devious thing, right? To keep uh, the compartmentalization quite, 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 you know, leak proof that a person thinks that he or she's alone in this, but, um, and that's, as you, as, as you said, then it seems like it opening up a can of worms. Then it, it goes for years with multiple people experiencing this, as you said, various forms of oppression, abuse. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just, <laughs> it seems extremely, you know, scary that it's not being, uh, addressed at any level because, Except for, of course, once it leads to fraud or it, it leads to, you know, complete, you know, the, the, the facade being pulled down like Jeffrey Epstein or whether it's with these other corporate uh, scandals that we've seen in the recent past. But is there anything you can talk about in today's example, which, um, you know, you, you, you are looking into or something which you, you can talk about when it comes to either a corporate or an individual who's this uh, psychopathic leader? Um, I'm not looking at at the moment, I'm not looking at individuals. I'm looking at the more of the effects of, of their presence in organizations. Mm -hmm. So we've, I mean, for example, it's pretty obviously things like job satisfaction decrease Mm -hmm. when you have this type of leadership, well, well being and mental health decrease. And we're just, um, trying to publish a paper on that at Mm -hmm. the moment. Um, and the range of things that that um, go down, you know, ethics, de- ethical behavior decreases, moral behavior decreases, uh, sabotage goes up because people try to take revenge on the company for putting a bad leader, a toxic leader, as their leader, as mm. their boss. So rather than rather than take revenge on the boss, they take revenge on the company itself by small acts of uh, sabotage and, and production deviance and deliberately jeopardizing the the efficient running of the of the business mm-hmm. 
So it has these multiple negative effects that the, the organization might not even be aware of um, because of the bad behavior that, the, that they're experiencing, in particular, the, the abusive behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, w- one of the things that these people do is, of course, sexual harassment, but that's very hard to measure and identify in the workplace because it's so sensitive and and embarrassing for people to to admit to sometimes particularly if they've been coerced into activity that that they wouldn't normally get involved in Mm -hmm. um and so i've I've deliberately not gone into investigating that in to any extent because uh, but quite often you get the sense that it's there and that people have been harassed in more ways than just being bullied, for example. Yeah. You know, when people like this apply for companies, for jobs, or whether it's like, you know, interns, that, uh, you know, you, you, you hear it, whether it's in political circles where people want to start. And of course, uh, we, we covered this in some, in some sense earlier. Uh, but, you know, I, I know you said that now there are companies uh, who are actively trying to screen for these kind of individuals, but it's also individuals applying for companies sometimes unknowingly who are run by people like this. But of course, the public image is so well coated, right? It's they've got great PR teams, and as you said, they're very smart people who are able to kind of put this front when by hiding their true intentions or their true motive to to, to what they're doing because they're they're running all these various campaigns of of dividing and and distracting and and um, keeping people in the dark and keeping people chasing their own tails. So uh, w- what are some of the symptoms uh, an individual uh, might display without b- before getting the power? Because once all this is a means to get into that place where they can control money power, uh, but for whether it's it's colleagues or whether it's people applying for companies, what are some of the things? Because usually it's just the money, the number of hours, it's the number of shares, it's how many days of leave you get. But are there other things they should look for while applying for a job or while they're in a job and they, they kind of are noticing things? Are there some traits or symptoms or uh, things they should look for? Um. Well, we, yeah, we've just done a piece of research um, which looks at the attributes that people think transformational leaders have mm-hmm. compared to the attributes people think psychopathic leaders have. Um, um, in academic terms, transformational leaders are deemed to be the best type of mm-hmm. leaders because they transform the lives of those who work for them as well as the uh, effectiveness and outcomes for the company so everything moves in a in a positive direction um, both the employees and the company as a whole and things like teamwork and all that kind of stuff um, and so transformation leaders are the ideal form of leaders mm-hmm. uh, ideal type of leader now uh, the interesting thing about the finding and, and i'm going to present this in in canada in in the uh, uh, November, I think it's, is it? No, mm. October. Um, so transformational leaders, as I said, are, are, are held as the ideal leaders. The problem is, when you first meet a psychopathic leader, they're, they're rated as being calmer, 
more rational, more poised, more social, more friendly than transformational leaders are. So when you first meet them, they look like ideal leaders. They look absolutely mm. perfect. And that's and that's almost too good to be true. So in terms of a warning sign, if they look almost too good to be true, then it's worth investigating whether they are too too good mm. to be true. Mm -hmm. um, and this is the reason they get, or one of the reasons that they get appointed to senior positions and it's all so only when they're in place in that position that their true conning and lying and deceit and dishonesty and manipulation comes through um and by that time of course it's too yeah. late they're already in a, in a powerful position so in terms of um looking out for them if they look too good to be true then they might be good to be true but also another way to identify them is if those below them rate them as the devil in the suit and those above them rate them as a star employee, mm. then this massive difference in, in, in evaluation is a good way to identify them as well. Because, the, as I said, they spend their whole lives impressing those above them. Um, and so those below them are the first people to really know what's happening um, and to identify them as as... That of course, they wouldn't necessarily use the word psychopathic, but they certainly know they're selfish and lying and abusive uh, and toxic. Um, and so that's you know that that's two ways of of, of trying to see who they are. Mm. No, that's I think really good to know because sometimes we just get so blindsided by these 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 other things, right? Like the pay offer the the free food in the cafeteria, <laughs> these various things. But um, it, clearly the reward system is something that the, the, a lot of the, 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 this, the people displaying these traits are seeking. But before even the workplace or before even the professional aspect, a lot of them go through the regular system of, you know, whether it's education and higher education and the entrance um you know, entrance procedure, whether it's into a civil servant position or whether it's to get into politics, there's, there's some level of that. But is there a way to identify this at, at a younger age, whether it's in school or whether it's in university or whether it's in, you know, business school? Uh, because it seems like it, 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 it's not just that the workplace or the professional life that turns on this button, but it's, it's clearly being, it's clearly there and it's clearly, um, I think that particular, those traits are, sort of self-fulfilling and they're going down a path. So, can, you know, how, how does the education system weed out these people or does it reward uh, these, these these individuals? Well, I, I don't really think the educational system is set up to identify that type of person. Obviously, if they're extremely bullying and abusive, they'll come to the attention of, of the head teacher or, or the, the authorities in the school uh, and what psychologists refer to in terms of uh, youth psychopathy is they say it's um, callous and unemotional behavior. So they don't want to label young people as psychopathic mm -hmm. because that will affect the rest of their lives, perhaps. Um, so they talk about callous and unemotional behavior. So you get things of, you know, bullying is a typical, particular example. Um, hurting animals on purpose is a, another um identifier mm. uh, 
not caring about their friends and colleagues is another identifier, their schoolmate. Um, but of course, is the difficulty is what what do you do with these people? How how do you deal with them? And those who are from good socio-economic backgrounds will be protected by their parents, so that they don't have they don't become criminalised, for example, and they are let off by the school and they work their way up through university mm-hmm. by cheating and by copying the work of other people. Um, and and by doing that, they get into into corporate life. Um, but psychologists are, are coming to the conclusion, I mean, it's not 100%, that, that these people uh, are born like, basically. Mm. Um, so they're born with a... Um, an emotional deficit in their brains. The emotional areas of the brain don't work in the same way as the rest of us. And they're almost um, entirely rational. I I would say that that they're actually the only rational people around Mm -hmm. because the rest of us are governed by emotions as well as rationality and a mixture of the two. Whereas psychopaths are purely rational. and their, their violence is, is rational violence. It's aimed at a particular aim, whether that's hurting someone or whether that's manipulating them or coercing them or getting to the, them to do something. It's not emotional violence. It's not reactive. It's um, very deliberative. Uh, and that's one of their, as I say, one of their characteristics. So the, the only real economic man or economic human that the economists um, talk about in their uh, economic theories of economic behavior is, is a psychopath. The rest of us are emotional. And the fact that it's so strategic and it's so emotionless makes it even more, um, you know, hard hitting that it's, it's not something that is done out of spite, but it's done for a pure measured result. And that's pretty, yeah, pretty hard to, <laughs> to process, you know, you hear so many people just, after the, the you know dust has settled, they've stolen, they've pilfered millions of dollars and billions even. And it's just that, you know, it just feels like they're not, I wouldn't say punished by going to prison, but it just feels like there's no remorse. And in even in comedy, yeah. you have mentioned comedy is an interesting place. There's there's a lot of that behavior which is rewarded. It's it's not the genuinely funny uh people who are nurturing other comedians, but it's the ones who play the game that you know, people say, quote, unquote, play the game, but it's it's this kind of behavior, which is what takes them to the top. And I find that quite a, you know, it, it's something I did for 13 years. And I just, it started getting to me, like, you know, you, you have to be that person. Otherwise, you know, people are like, oh, do it for your passion. But yeah, it, 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 it's it's disheartening, you know, um, when when the, the genuine uh, willingness to help people or the genuine willingness to kind of bring people along, all that is kind of just you know, not rewarded, but it's the ones who finally then get to such levels where they're selling out arenas and they're going to be like them, you know, and and that's quite an interesting paddle that it can be in all aspects of life. Well, yeah, it's funny, talking about humor reminds me of another piece of research mm-hmm. we did. Uh, and we looked at um, dark humor mm-hmm. and the use of dark humor in the workplace. Uh, and basically, according to the literature, a good leader will use humour to diffuse situations, to make light of situations, uh, to make people happy and get along with each other. 
but psychopathic leaders also use humor, but they use dark humor. Uh, so uh, again, this is a, another way of perhaps identifying them. So um, they laugh at the misfortunes of other people. They ridicule those who work for them. They're very sarcastic. Um, and they use all these different forms, as I say, of, of dark humor to manipulate their environment and and it's it's, it's part of their abusive behavior mm. um so if you see a person using these uh individually um antagonistic humor towards people like ridicule and sarcasm then that's a good indicator that they are a dark personality themselves um and possibly psychopathic uh yeah so yeah a good uh, another way of possibly identify them um, in the organization. I'm assuming they're uh, also not self-deprecating and they can't take a joke. <laughs> uh, we didn't look at that, but I would yeah. guess that's the case. <laughs> right. No. Before we wind up, because you spoke about transformational leaders and um, I, and I think, you know, that, can you give me a couple of examples? Because I just, I don't know if, if you want to give name names, but it would be nice to just hear who's, someone that people can kind of look at as a case study or an example of an individual who's transformational in their work? Uh, transformational? Um, well, I haven't really looked at that. I mean, a good a good writer on transformation and on good leadership in general is called, a guy called Robert mm-hmm. Hogan. Um, but I think we talk about it in, in more general terms rather than in specific individual okay, right. terms. I mean, uh, I mean, you might give the... In political terms, you might give the example of Winston Churchill as a, a transformational leader because he motivated the country towards, uh, mm-hmm. you know, fighting the Nazis. Mm-hmm. Um, right. What what we do find is good leaders tend to be more humble mm-hmm. and more, as you said, self depreciating, and they don't put themselves first. Um, whereas a toxic leader is the opposite of those things. They're grandiose and self-important and always put themselves first. Um, and again, this is probably one of the ways, one of the ways they get advancement because when you meet a humble person who doesn't stand out from the mm. crowd, you tend not to associate them with leadership. Mm. Whereas actually you, you probably should. That's nice to uh, hear because we always are attracted to the loudest in the room, the, 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 quote unquote, most powerful person in the room, but it's nice to also look out for the quiet, but some people say don't trust the, the quiet ones. <laughs> so who knows? <laughs> but, uh, you know, recently I heard that Mark Zuckerberg and Elon Musk have challenged each other to a boxing, a cage match. And I know this might not be, um, supported in research. And I, I'm just asking you this question as someone who's <laughs> good at reading human behavior. And I, I don't obviously want you to put your name on the line or any of that, but just as an observer, as a person living in society, looking at these two people who control these such huge platforms who are going at it uh, like school children who are threatened by each other. And it so claims that Elon Musk was threatened by the fact that Mark Zuckerberg is launching threads, which is the rival to Twitter. Um, or say, you know, um, Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk sending each other some kind of a prank gifts, which just to go to show that I have more money than you, or I'm a bigger billionaire, or I'm the richest man in the world. So these are, of course, the big names that are being, um, you know, uh, presented today in, in the media. Uh, 
uh, yeah, so I, one is I just want your thoughts on that. But secondly, are once it gets to that level, are there also certain game plans that these individuals adopt to propagate their um, th- th- their their strategy to dominate? Uh, well, I, I haven't heard of the uh, potential boxing match, <laughs> and I don't know enough about these people as individuals to to really yeah. comment. It, Sounds childish to me, rather than uh, psychopathic. <laughs> um, <laughs> right, right. But in terms of how they dominate um, companies, it, it, it's very much uh, they they generate a climate of fear, basically, among those who work under mm-hmm. them. And so nobody's, um, or very few people, have got the the courage and strength of character to, to be a whistleblower, for mm-hmm. example. Um, um, yeah, so they're ruled by by fear and intimidation, which discourages anyone from challenging their position, which enables them to get away with, with what they're doing. Right. Um, no, and what, what I was interested to know is, like, for instance, let's, let's just take, you know, without accusations, um, Okay, let's take Jeff Bezos, right? He started a marketplace for people to buy stuff and then became one of the biggest in the world, if not the biggest. But in the process, or say someone like Bill Gates, they wanted to make software which was accessible to desktop computing. But on on the way, um, it it moved away from the central thing, which was technology, in case of Amazon, which was um, marketplace, which was shopping online, to various other things, which was owning a newspaper, in the case of Jeff Bezos, or to setting up a foundation, which was to do things, uh, you know, when it comes to Bill Gates or um, when it comes to Elon Musk from um, electric car company or like a rocket company to now owning a social media platform. So it seems like controlling the news or what information people receive seems to be a a, a thing like even um, what's the guy who owns Fox? I forget his name. Um, um, yeah, Murdoch. Murdoch. So it seems like eventually... Uh, they deviate from their core, uh, whether it's people who started something, and and it seems at end at the end end at end of the not end of the road, but one of the important things that they need to get is to control information and own the source of that information. And in uh, and and how does yeah? So is that something that a pattern that we're seeing? Um, again, I don't know enough about these people. Uh, as I said at the beginning, uh, a problem of my area of research is there's too many candidates to yeah, study, yeah, yeah. and you can't you can't study everybody. But uh, in terms of media barons, uh, uh, one of the case studies I use is the, a guy called Robert Maxwell. I don't know if you remember I've heard him of Robert. from yeah, the UK. Yeah. He he was he was a rival of Murdoch at one stage, and known to um, a series of new new. That's Ghislaine Maxwell's father, and, right? Uh, He's the same guy. That's right. The yeah. Sun newspaper, yeah. I think so, that was his. Uh, the Mirror Group. Oh, the Mirror, right, right. Yeah. Well, yes, I mean, the point uh, you mentioned his daughter, the point that there is an hereditary element to psychopathy, um, and also there's a socialization element. Mm-hmm. And uh, having that kind of father who reportedly used a belt to discipline his children, for example, a leather mm-hmm. belt. Um, would tend to make you into uh, a, a, you know abusive person yourself, um, and that, and therefore you, the Gillian situation. Um, 
but yeah, he he was found to have stolen from his own pension, the company pension fund. I think it was three hundred million, which was a huge um, fraud in the one of the biggest frauds in the UK at the mm-hmm. time. And lots of his workers and pensioners lost um, about half of their pension, half of their savings that they they thought they'd saved up to take them into old age. Um, so again, um, poor outcomes for everybody apart from uh, the psychopathic leader himself. Wow, it's it seems like it repeats itself in all all parts and all you know ages and. Well, you, you know, thank you so much, um, Professor Clive, for um, sharing your research, the data and your insights into this kind of behavior, because, you know, I personally, I've not been in a corporate environment and in a position of power at all. <laughs> But it's very, very, very interesting and um, and also kind of grounding to hear that we have And in, these number of individuals, but also an increasing number of individuals who are displaying this behavior. So, um, yeah, I think on behalf of my listeners and myself, thank you so much for joining me today and for taking the time to share all uh, all the findings from the work you've done. Thank you. You're welcome. Hey, thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you like what you heard, please do check out the other episodes on YouTube or wherever you get your podcast. And I would much appreciate it if you could like the video, share it with people who you think might enjoy it. And of course, do subscribe to the channel because it will help me and the podcast grow and reach more people just like you. So thanks again. Appreciate it.